Fintech Chatter Podcast, brought to you by Tier 1 People, the leaders in executive search for fintech ventures. Welcome to Fintech Chatter, the show where I connect with fintech leaders for a bit of a chat. I'm your host, Dexter Cousins, and today I'm joined by Chris Jewell, who's the CEO of Zepto. Zepto is the smallest unit measurement of time, but we're not here to talk about physics. We're here to talk about the other Zepto, which is a payments business that originated in Byron Bay. Chris, welcome to your Fintech Chatter debut. Thanks, Dexter. That that was actually pretty spot on. Uh, Zeptosecond is uh, a trillionth of a billionth of a second. So for us, it represents uh, precision, accuracy and, and speed. So yeah, it's great to be here. Um, it's fantastic to have you here. It's, uh, you know, I feel like I've got another one off the bucket list for the year and I can yeah, <laughs> go, go, go and spend Christmas relaxed knowing that I've ticked another to do off the list. We've been trying to make this one happen for, for some time. Yep. So it's fantastic to finally make it happen. Thank you. And, and again, I was saying as we were setting up, congrats on what you've built through FinTech Chatter and, and Tier 1 people as well. It's uh you're doing a great job. Thanks, Chris. Really appreciate the tier one people mentioning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we are here to talk about Zepto, not tier one people. Um, and it's a really interesting story on many fronts. I've mentioned there in the intro, Byron Bay. Um, we'll talk about that in a, a little bit more depth. But before we do, could you tell the listeners a bit more about Zepto and what it is that you do? Yeah, I mean, Zepto is a payments technology company. And when I say payments, uh, we don't do credit card, we don't do BMPL. We focus exclusively on bank account to bank account payments for businesses. So uh, we, we, we enable merchants, we don't enable consumers direct. So we help those businesses uh, in the context of managing those bank account payments, the ability to pay out from their bank account to their customers' bank accounts, to receive where their customers are sending them money into their bank account and, and equally the ability for those merchants to collect money from directly from their customers' bank accounts. So we do that, I guess, across the, the two existing rails in, in Australia. One is BEX or the bulk electronic clearing system, which is that you know old school direct debit and direct credit. And you know, we're going through a structural shift at the moment into the new payments platform or the MPP. So that's the space we play in. Yeah. So um, new payments platform, it kind of feels a bit odd saying that now because it's over five years since it was launched. Yep. Um, what have been, I guess, you know, some of the challenges for Zepto in actually kind of pushing the adoption of that? Yeah, I think it's been iterative, iterative right? I think um, if we think about the early adopters in any technology, it's skewed to, well, for the MPP, it was very much skewed to pay out. Yeah. And I think over the last five years, as you said, 2018 is when the MPP went live. It's been about a gradual evolution in terms of that payout into the ability to receive via pay ID and, and now the ability to collect uh, via pay too. So I do think that, you know, I think a lot of people talk about the legacy system of Bex, but I don't think of uh, Bex as legacy. I think of Bex as being a hall of famer, like yeah. in the context of what it's delivered to Australia and Bex, whether it's ACH in the US, like this this idea of direct debit and direct credit has been incredibly powerful in terms of the, the engine for, for our economy over the last 50 years. The challenge now for the MPP as we push forward and pioneer a new possible, which is 
engaging in an on-demand digital world that our merchants are now looking into is that, you know, that BEX capability probably doesn't extend as far as you need to yeah. to be able to think about how merchants differentiate their product yeah. or service through payment innovation. Cool. So you've talked about some of the challenges there, Chris, of um, the new payments platform. What was the opportunity then that Zepdo could see? Because it's a really, you know, I mean, Australia's a pretty um, kind of condensed when it comes to payments technologies, probably the, you know, the area of innovation and fintech where Australia's right up there with the rest of the world. I think, yeah, absolutely. But I think um, it, it's not easy, one, to do payments reliably at scale. So for these large enterprise merchants that are thinking about the world that we're pioneering and moving into, how do you do millions of transactions a month, you know, millions of transactions a year in a way that is uh, indexing into this digital world where it is on demand and, you know, uh, you are trying to think about that customer payment experience and that is hard. And I think um, we can talk more about, you know, the opportunity and quantifying the opportunity, but I, I think some of the use cases that we've brought to life, you know, over the last, call it three years, but recently I think really shine a light on where the opportunity is moving away from early adoption into more progressive mainstream application mm. of account to account. Um, you know, John Winters and Wayne Baskin at Superhero, who I know you've had on the on the podcast previously, Superhero um, uses pay ID uh, to acquire funds. So uh, customers of Superhero get allocated a unique email that's then linked to a virtual account through um, the Zepto infrastructure. So that enables uh, Superhero to get money in in real time from these yeah. customers, reconcile it reflected in the browser basically instantly so that those customers can then go and buy equity. Um, a recent uh, founder and, and um, company from the Airtree portfolio called Fetch, which is a pet insurance, Phil Wilson-Brown and the team. Um, really interesting use case in insurance where you're not only collecting premiums um, on a recurring basis, but thinking about how can we enable uh, real-time payments to vets where there is an emergency operation and at the same time mm. collect the excess that consumers have yeah. to make that go seamlessly. Again, complex payment flow but now can be tackled in a new way with a real-time payment ecosystem that enables that innovation. Mm. And, you know, the last one I think which is really interesting is um, a digital partner that we're working with called Ozeti, um, David Field and, and Anne White, um, which focus, they focus on superannuation payroll and e-invoicing. And superannuation for a lot of small businesses when you're making those payments two weeks in advance to make sure you don't get hit with the fines and penalties associated with those contributions. We're now trying to work with, you know, real-time collection on behalf of businesses and their employees mm -hmm. and then real-time disbursement um, into Superstream with the, the data that's required yeah. to guarantee the payment. So, again, it's just incredibly... I don't want to say exciting, but it's just incredible to think that we're pioneering yeah. a new frontier here. And I often say to a lot of people, you know, our awareness of what's possible when it comes to payment innovation and for Zepto bank account payment innovation, it can't be limited to what is possible. We have to be thinking more you know, holistically about mm. what can we do to change and add value. Um, one of the, I guess, frustrations that I have as a consumer um, particularly when it comes to payments, you know, health insurance is a great example or direct debits in general. Um, there's just no control that 
things go up my bank account and then it's, you know, four days later, five days, six days, seven days later. Yeah. And oftentimes, you know, these are, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight hundred dollar yeah. amounts. Um, what what is Zepto doing, you know, that will kind of give ultimately consumers, and I know you're a B2B business, but, mm-hmm. you know, kind of it was interesting just to hear you there talking about who who you're working with. None of the kind of big incumbents seem to be you know, seeing this as a as a problem for their customers. What, what are you seeing that Zepto is able to do to kind of push that that boundary and push and, and I guess put pressure on the incumbents that we're, we're going to start to see a bit more control for consumers? Um, love the question, right? So I think. First of all, I think the incumbents want to be super meaningful to their relationships with their customers and I think we can break that down in a sec. But I do think, you know, the transparency for the consumer and the ability to understand and see and have flexibility to control those payments and see them aggregated is really important. I think from a Zepto point of view, part of the success of Zepto has been on what we've said no to, not what we've said yes to. Mm. And so I think when it comes to really getting deeper and deeper into the consumer side, um, that's sort of beyond the scope of what we're yeah. focused on. We're trying to think about the infrastructure side and making um, access, so tech API-driven access to the infrastructure yeah. as seamless as possible for our merchants so that they can create and customise a really unique customer payment mm-hmm. experience that puts their customer yeah. first that then touches on all the things you yeah, just it's said. it's funny, funny you mention that because the last podcast that we did with Richard Joffe at Honey Insurance, we had exactly the same conversation you know the kind of secret to a successful fintech and ours is helping other businesses delight and retain their customers yeah exactly so when i think about um you know taking that back a step and the custodians or the incumbents i like to think about the banks being the custodians of the payment ecosystem when it comes to bank account payments over the last sort of 50 or so years there are there are two components to a bank account um transaction one is what we call initiation and the other is the clearing and settling. So both those pieces ultimately and historically the banks have been able to provide a service. I think the initiation piece in my mind is heavily skewed to technology. So it's the instruction layer, it's the status of the payment, it's the data that goes with the payment. And I think that's where we're trying to leverage into, um, you know, the ability to create a new, you know, that accessibility to to Mm. drive technical capability to enable merchants where historically if you wanted to extend beyond what was offered by a bank, you called that integration. So merchants would have to integrate back to what a bank offered. And I think going forward now, that concept of integration gets broken down a little bit and the ability to access technology around bank account capability will will start to match what Mm. merchants need. So, you know, that's where Zepto comes in. We want to make that that as seamless as possible for these merchants to access and create complex play- payment flows um, seamlessly. And, yeah. and we get excited about that. Cool. Now, um, you, we can't have a chat about payments without talking about digital currency and crypto. And, um, you know, we're kind of back on you know, the, the the kind of hype cycle again. Yeah. It seems to be determined by the price of Bitcoin rather than the use cases. Um, but where do you see, you know, the, the, the kind of, you know, where does payments sit in terms of the you know the the rails that we've got now, and then this emerging technology and and what do you kind of anticipate is you know the, the where we land up? Yep, I think there's sort of three segments here. One is you know understanding 
for most merchants, you don't have to convince them that a real-time payment experience for their customer is a better outcome. Yeah. The hardest thing for some of these large merchants that we're now talking to is like how do we transition away from an ecosystem that we've built with layers of support around it yeah. um, that we have to start to peel back and move to this real time. So, you know, the way we approach that is to think about how do we enable um, that that innovation and, and value for our merchants today and so in a way that's meaningful for them today. And meaningful is accessibility through the tech. Meaningful is a reliable and scalable solution. But meaningful also is a confidence that what we're building today is composable with the future, yeah. which comes to this idea of digital assets, whether it's, you know, for me, like whether it's blockchain as a technology, whether it is AI, whether it is consumer data, right? There's a yeah. lot of things that are emerging that will complement um, uh, a payment capability today. So whoever's building needs to have, you know, one eye today, but yeah. one eye on the future as yeah. well, because no one wants to integrate and build out for a capability that has a limited life of two to yeah. three years. Yeah. I think the, the recurring theme that when I've, when I've asked a CEO or an exec, whether they're in a startup or in a bank, um, over this last five years, Chris, and if anything, COVID just accelerated this was, you know, you ask them what, what's keeping them awake at night and that the, the overwhelming response you know, was you'd get things like cybersecurity and, you know, other things, but the overwhelming response was, is what we're building today even going to be relevant in 12 months' time? Yeah. And, you know, you think I was having that five years ago and now we've seen you know, cryptocurrency massively kind of push on from there. Um, we've seen AI massively kick on from there as well. We've seen compounded by that, the, you know, the, the downside, which is the risks and the security and the fraud piece that, you know, there's a massive now push here in Oz, but also globally around fraud and payments and, you know, the issues that we've seen with, you know, um, that pay ID could quite easily solve, but that we've only just seen some, some kind of real kind of you know, movement on recently within Australia around identifying pays and account numbers. What, what do you see... You know, or what do you hear from your customers as to the the thing that's kind of really causing them sleepless nights? I, th I think you know our approach is a governance first approach. Yeah. You know, for most innovators, when you think about regulation and governance and compliance, that slows you down. But I think when we're pioneering, for want of a better word, in, in a, against the backdrop of critical infrastructure like payment ecosystem, it's not about you know moving fast and breaking things, yeah. we have to be slow. We have to be considered. We have to take a, a very mature lens to how we do this. And yeah. fraud and scam, um, that is incredibly important right now. Like yeah. governance for Zepto is front and centre. We see it you know, as being part of an ecosystem of what are we contributing to to ensure that the good players we're enabling and the bad players yeah. we're collectively putting more pressure on. And I yeah. think that is really important you talk about confirmation of payee now, like pay ID where you can send a payment and you can see who yeah. that is. You know, through the MPP, we're looking to expand that to other payment channels so that confirmation of pay will be there. So, you know, what are we doing there and um, what are the things that we're being asked? It is about making sure that we're constantly thinking about what more can we be doing, yeah. whether it's Connect ID and digital identification to, to ensure that the payment, if it's guaranteed and irrevocable, that it's going to the right person for the right purpose. Yeah. And I think, 
you know, where we're at at the moment, there's work to be done. Um, but we are investing heavily in that space and that's something that we're super passionate about in terms of, you know, our impact on, you know, a ecosystem and a community. Yeah. It's really important. Yeah. yeah. It, it's interesting you mentioned that because I think one of the observations that I've got having been in this space now for 10 years is everybody claims that they've got the silver bullet and there isn't one. And it's what's really from what you said kind of really cements my thinking that, look, this is an ecosystem, right? It's composable parts that you bring together that's going to create something different. And I think the kind of infrastructure you know, that we're, we're talking about for a world that's going to be, you know, the digital age, mm. which we're still not there yet, right? You know, we're still kind of very reliant on technology that was built in the analog age. But it, it seems to me that, you know, the, you know, the industry really kind of needs to, not get together because I think they do a good job of that, but recognize that, you know, there's not one solution. Yeah. There's, you know, everybody's got something to, to, to offer and it's how do we make all of these solutions work together? And I think this ecosystem, when I think about Australian ecosystem, we've got some of the most innovative companies, yeah. you know, pioneering in this space. Like if we come together, we can look, we can, we can do a lot of good work in terms of the, the way that we're pioneering and, and what we're leaning into. I think, you know, I'd love to see, you know, we're quite active in terms of policy submissions to the government yeah. and treasury. And I think, I'd, you know, we're big advocates for having a voice. And yeah. I'd love, you know, again, regulation and guidelines really help curate the expectation. And But all of us need to sort of level up to what the bar looks like. Yeah. And, you know, I can, I can see in a future as well, like a code of conduct that we all sort of sign up for, for yeah. in terms of how we're innovating and the purpose of innovation is to enable value, not to perpetuate, yeah. you know, bad outcomes or cutting corners. Yeah. Like that's really important. Yeah. And I think, I think that's one of the challenges, right? Is that we, we talked before and I was talking about some of the data that I've seen around how, you know, not only the funding has dropped off, but just general interest online, general interest in podcasts, the fair weather friends of, of fintech, you know, we've we've lost them in 2023. Like that's that's for sure. It's been such a tough ride for for a lot of us. Um, and what's I think w- what that has also highlighted to me was perhaps we had too many people interested in the segment because what they wanted to do was not change the world but change their world by building something and selling it for a few billion dollars within a couple of years. There's nothing wrong with that, but in a heavily regulated environment like fintech, and you know we've seen what's happened in the crypto world when you know you've got no guide rails at all, it just it ruins lives. It doesn't change lives, but not for the better, right? A hundred percent. Yeah, and I think one of the you know, interesting things to to kind of come through from this year has just been one. Obviously, you know we we see who's in it for the long game. But I think also now those voices that needed to be heard are getting more of a platform now because there's not so much of the noisemakers around who perhaps their intentions were a little bit more kind of selfish than than kind of holistic. Yeah. I feel, you know, for any co-founder, leader, entrepreneur, you've got to really feel it 
Yeah. Like genuinely believe in, in the problem you're going after. And I think, you know, the way we've approached it at Zepto is like ultimately we'd love to create value for everyone. Like every person at Zepto has shares and equity in Zepto. And so we're building together. But without that sense of calling and that real yeah. purpose to what we're building with the vision and the mission to go deeper, to, to like our, our vision is pretty simple. It's a, it's a better way to pay, not at a consumer level, but at an infrastructure level. We want to provide the infrastructure technology to enable enable our merchants to engage with a better way to pay with their customers. And we feel really passionate about the, the efficiency gains, the, the, the opportunity to drive competition for, for payment services. And we equally feel super passionate about doing that in a way that doesn't contribute instability or create risk in the ecosystem. Mm. Like those things are really genuinely front and centre for us. We're not trying to, you know, build a business that, that can make as much money as it can in the next two years and then we're, yeah. we're, we're out. Like we want to be genuine custodians and stewards for, for innovation in the payment ecosystem in Australia, but ultimately we've got global aspirations. Um, let's talk about the origins of, of Zepto. So Byron Bay originally split payments. Um, how did you get involved with Zepto? So, yeah, it's a, it's a good question. You know, um, I'm a co-founder now, but I wasn't a co-founder from the very beginning. And I think, you know, Split um, spun out of, well, two of the the original four co-founders I went to school with 35 years ago in Melbourne. Right. So we've known each other a long time. Um, we, I've, I've been in Byron 10 years. They've all been in Byron sort of 16, 25 years. Um, they were owned and operated the world's largest tandem skydive operation yeah. up and down the east coast of Australia. Um they looked at this opportunity to think about payment capability in relation to they could take a booking from anywhere in the world, but the payment attached to the booking was slow. It was expensive. It came with complexity where you're using agents. And so they started to pull apart this problem. And so I joined in 2020. Can, can I just kind of uh, yeah, talk about that? Yeah. What makes, uh, yeah, two guys who've built a skydiving business, then kind of experts in payments, not to say that in a, you know, yeah, a, a, no. a disparaging way, but like, well, how did they go, oh, yeah, we're the right people to fix this problem? Well, all four, <laughs> like all four of them came from this problem. And I think, um, so that that's Adrian, it's Matt, it's Ian and it's Trev. And so Ian and Trev, um, they were the ones that sort of started to think about, okay, well, maybe there's an opportunity here to understand and streamline this payment yeah. process from, from a merchant yeah. perspective. Like as a merchant, what am I looking for? And I think that was a really important moment in the history of Split is like to approach it from a merchant. We're building something for yeah. merchants but with this merchant experience. So we know the pain of what it's like trying to build and scale a business with, you know, the limitations of what is being offered through the incumbent banking yeah. ecosystem. And so that was really starting. Like how do we automate that? They'd come from a tourism and hospitality lens, so starting to think about it in the context of that and building out some code and tech that supported that. And I think what they found really quickly was that that, um, tech and that approach was extensible beyond just tourism and hospitality. And in fact, you know, the ability for tourism and hospitality companies to absorb technology was probably limited. So mm. it then moved into other areas. And I think um, that's where, so this is early 2020, I um, had, you know, engaged with the guys. I Like it was funny. We just 
um, Adrian was walking out of Foodworks in Bangalore as I was walking in. He's like, mate, have you got half an hour to just grab a beer? I'd love to pick your brain on a couple of things. And he sat down and described a business that had sort of circa 12 people um, at the time, I think it, it hadn't done a million dollars in revenue. It's probably three quarters of a million dollars in total revenue annualised, but had big aspirations and ambition about what it was creating, the code that had already been written to support um, the merchants that they were supporting. And I had, um, we can talk a little bit more about this, but I'd come from a traditional banking background. Yeah. You know, I'd spent, you know, best part of 10 years at Goldman, then another six running institutional sales for foreign currency and rates. Um here with City in Australia. And so I bought a farm up in Byron. My family had moved up there and I'd, I was still um, sort of going back and forth with City and eventually made them the decision to leave. So, you know, I had sat down with Adrian. I was like, I, would, I wanted to find something that I could sink my teeth into. Yeah. I was sort of thinking really hard and long about ideas that I could build. And, you know, when I sat down with them and, and listened, I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to help build and scale a world-class technology company. So I ended up putting in a significant amount of money into Split, which was the, the first iteration of where we were. And we rebranded to Zepto and really drove the business on this incredible growth journey over the, those last three years where we went, you know, just to give you some context, we went from under a million dollars in revenue to last year, just short of $25 million yeah. in total revenue. So it's been hard and, you know, we talk about that against the backdrop. At every step of the way we, you know, the doors are shut. Like then you're having to push through, you're having yeah. to really believe in what you're building and where you're going. And for us it's not about, you know, just creating revenue for revenue. Like we want to create and build and scale, as I said before, a global technology mm. company. We want to be a global category leader in account-to-account -account infrastructure capability and that starts with, the great merchants that we're working through at the moment yeah. and building from there, all out of the Byron yeah. industrial estate. So um, rather unique experiences, Chris, because whenever I meet a banking executive and they talk about working in fintech, they're talking about how much equity they're getting, not how much they're putting in. Yeah, well, I think it was important for me, like, to put skin in the game. Like, this is, you know, I feel it. Like, I feel it, you know, how to bootstrap a business. We did our Series A last year, yeah, March 2022. So we didn't take like external institutional money. It was our money that drove the business to scale. And I think that is hard. Like that's really yeah. hard. Um, I'd be lying if there weren't days where the challenges is somewhat overwhelming, but you've got to feel, you know, that connection to the purpose and the vision and the yeah. mission that you, you come back to. That gives you that sense of true north. But I think the banking experience for me, like, and this is just me personally, and this doesn't work for everyone, but really helped me understand this lens around governance and regulation yeah. and the importance of where we're going now to put that first. And that's something that I've really driven hard in terms of as we've built out the business, you know, that becomes an important pillar. And equally, just my experience through, you know, working at some of those big banks, you know, what does, you know, the importance of, you know, thinking laterally, the importance of attention to detail, like you know, all those things that you end up most bankers yeah. walking out and thinking, is this skill set can extend to other areas? Like it absolutely can, but equally you've got to find that sense of curiosity and something that you want yeah. to apply to. Yeah. That, that, and I think there's a lot of emphasis on skill set when really, you know, it's the attitude, the behaviours, you know, the resilience, the, they're the, the things that kind of determine whether you'll be successful or not. Yes, 
Uh, and even if you've got all those, you know, it still doesn't determine whether no. you're going to be successful, right? So no. it's, there's, a, there's a huge element of luck. I think before I started, you know, there's this great story at Split where, um, you know, the team, the guys put on suits and went out to Lismore. So Lismore is where yeah. then, um, one of the big banks had their regional hub and we were looking to get a direct debit facility, right? And so we we're try- trying to talk to the bank about, you know, we want to process direct debits for merchants. And so they all put on a suit, got in a car, went out to Lismore and the bank manager at Lismore said, no, we can't give you this direct debit facility because the risk associated with your business is incalculable. So yeah. <laughs> it was like at that point it felt like it was over. Like, and so, um, you know, there are these, the doors every month, you know, the doors are shut and yeah. you've got to have that resilience to keep knocking. But I think there there comes with a degree of rational optimism in terms of you've got to be really considered about how you try and go through the doors because yeah. they're shut for a reason and, yeah. like, you've just got to think think um, holistically in terms of the approach. Maybe it's perhaps, you know, they're doing the right thing for them and their business and it mightn't be the right outcome for you and your business, but look, that's kind of when the game of risk management. And I think that's what a lot of people, particularly founders, don't understand is that fintech isn't about sales, it's about risk management. Yeah, I mean, I, I massively subscribe to that and that's why that idea of governance first, we have to, a lot of people will sort of say, well, what are the use cases? I want to know what we're going into. Unfortunately, we don't have all those answers yet. Like, yeah. We know that we're pioneers, like we are pioneering with the right attitude and outlook and belief in what we can create, but it is a frontier where there is yeah. extreme risk at the moment and we've got to do our best to make sure that as we, you know, go further into that, uh, that on, into the frontier that we're doing it with the right, um, can, you know, with the right mindset and the right framework to enable the best value. Um, that's not for everyone and it's certainly hard to engage with regulators and stakeholders against, you know, you know, driving innovation but protecting and, and putting a risk-first lens over that as well. Um, so Byron Bay, it's you know, fantastic place to visit. I'm sure it's a great place to live as well. Um, it's got a lot going for it, but I wouldn't have imagined it being a hotbed for fintech talent for a scaling business. So where have you gone to to find talent and how have you gone about that? I think um, like Byron, first of all, it's a pretty eclectic ecosystem. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of entrepreneurial spirit up yeah. there which you can really leverage and personally I've found it incredibly energising, uh, the hills up there, like yeah. with some of the people that you find. Um but on the flip side, it has been challenging, you know, to build and scale a company um, headquartered out of Byron. And I think it'd be, I would misrepresent to say that that's where the growth is coming from us as a business. I think we're just short of 80 people now and there's probably only 10 left in Byron. So even though we've tried to attract and talent up there, cost of living's been very hard. Yeah. There's there's a lot of challenges as a regional town that have become really clear on you know, like just housing, you know, cost of living, all of these things yeah. that impact. And I think for us, the growth in terms of headcount still heavily skewed to Melbourne and Sydney um, from a business perspective. Mm. And how, how have you found leading people you know, when you're not physically there and you happen to travel a lot and you've got now three hubs if you've got Sydney, Melbourne and, and Byron? Yeah. Uh, and this is coming from 
like a reformed banker where I, I like on an FX desk, you're there, yeah. you're there next to side yeah. by side, taking it all in and yeah. the energy and the flow. And so I think it's, it's hard. Like I feel, you know, as a leader of any business, if you haven't a bad day, that has a ripple effect, whether you're in the office yeah. or on a zoom call, I think for me, you've just got to be conscious of that and lead with an energy and a positivity that, that brings, um, that sort of is aligned to what we're doing and how we're building it. But I, I feel more so now that I really want to continue to end index into what does world-class remote work look like. Yeah. I feel, you know, I've had the, the fortune of spending a bit of time with some of the, the great founders within the Airtree ecosystem and, and outside of that. But some of them, and I think of, you know, Ben Thompson at Employment Hero, they Real, they live and die by, they've always been remote first, yeah. but they've got a world-class remote first framework that at every level of yeah. that organisation enables them to have a great culture and a great productivity and a great outcome, but putting remote first. And so I think managing people remotely, I think we need, at Zepto, we need to do more, like to continue to, to think about, you're not, you just don't want to get halfway through the process and yeah. say, this is what it looks like. You've either got to be all in to really support a remote first you know, approach. But, you know, personally I try to get down to Sydney and Melbourne um, and and elsewhere as often as I can, but there's a sustainability point of view as well. So yeah. I, th- I can see over the next five years that we will continue to invest and level up with that remote yeah. first philosophy, but that comes and you'd know better than most people with challenges around, you know, how we, you know, from productivity to engagement yeah. to all of these things. Yeah. It's been really interesting actually to have, you know, I, I pride myself on working with the top performers, right, and and finding top performers for my clients. And interestingly, a lot have pushed back and said, you know, I'm not really interested in a remote-first business because I feel like I'm missing out. I feel like I'm not learning, I'm not developing, I want to be around people, I want to be around people better than me where I'm challenged and I learn. And I don't feel I get that on Zoom calls and sitting in my bedroom. And so it's kind of really interesting to see that, you know, we're, we're kind of reaching this point now where people are recognizing as well as businesses that, hey, there are some things that we haven't figured out yet. How do we figure that out? Yeah, I certainly think that remote brings complexity in terms of, well, complexity because we're it's a complex problem we're trying to solve. Yeah. So you need to be together to sort of peel this apart. Um, but complexity as well as like how do we keep people engaged and productive and satisfied in terms of what we're building. I also think at the moment, um, you know, the conversation, especially for, for businesses and a lot of the fintechs that are still building and scaling is that, I, and this is what I say, I think of this myself when I get up, it's like, you know, as the CEO of Zepto, less about me being that, but what does the business need from me in this role today? Like mm. am, am I satisfying, you know, what does the business need and am I satisfying that? And I think you can quite often, you know, extend that prematurely to think, well, what's the business giving me? And yeah. I think, you know, right now our business is like, oh, we, we, we've got the potential to do amazing things, to be, you know, I say we want to be the 1% of the 1% companies. We don't want to be a great company. We want to be an incredible company. Mm. And we've got all the DNA to, to do that. But right now the business is screaming to get that momentum, to give it the push. And so that needs everyone to sort of align and believe in what that yeah. looks like. And trying to do that remotely at the moment is hard as well yeah. because there are yeah. days where everyone's hurting, you know. Everyone yeah. has got, you know, challenges 
you know, as, as we move into an on-demand digital economy, that on-demand digital world brings its own challenges, you know, with mental yeah. health and all these other things. And I think, you know, trying to navigate the complexity of that, the complexity of the business and to do it remotely, I think is is hard. And so, yeah, we're, I don't have the answers. Yeah. It's just good to sort I, of talk I think about it's, it. I think it's really interesting though because, you know, we, we've seen this, you know, I think we, we you know, I like to think of, building a business as a creative act. Mm. It's not, you know, like a, a structured and, you know, it's not like a corporate where, look, the machine's already made, you just come in and turn the cog. Yeah. And if you think of any creative um, process, sit, people sitting in isolation usually doesn't, you know, the, the movie, The Shining, right? Like he goes to write a book in isolation and goes mad, right? And tries yes. to kill his family. Now, yeah. I'm not suggesting right? that's what, but, but it's a it kind of, you know, isolation is a form of torture, right? And it yeah. actually doesn't help with the creative process. And one of the things that I've been hearing more and more from founders when I've done these interviews, Chris, something that you just touched on, which is where do I get my energy from the business, right? what's it giving me back? You know, I'm not talking about the exit and the, you know, the financial stuff, but what's it giving me back? And I think one of the things that's been really encouraging to hear is founders recognizing that, well, the things that give me energy, you're going out and meeting new clients, winning business, right? Things that detract or take away energy away are these things, right? So how do I outsource or get somebody else to do this stuff that doesn't give me energy? And I know this things I'm going to have to do, right? That's my responsibility that's going to sap me. But then how do I counter that by getting some energy back? And, you know, what they've done is figured things out. Like if I'm going to have to make somebody redundant, I want to have a load of sales calls lined up so I can push on and, you know, kind of get the things that give me energy. And I've just found that's been really fascinating to hear so many people kind of go on this journey of, kind of realizing that actually they're more like artists than they are executives, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. I, I And, you know, if we're... We've gone all Byron here, man. We, we do, and it's like that's, that's a little bit, you know, we could go deeper on that. But I feel for me the, the opportunity to define what is possible, like, and yeah. I feel Zepto has, is one of the few companies that can redefine what's possible. Yeah. That's incredibly exciting. But equally as the CEO of a, of a company, by nature, you do get a lot of problems filter up to yeah. you that ultimately yeah. you've got to make the um, the decision upon. And that is draining because yeah. that isn't like I can put all that on a Thursday and I've got four days to, um, to think, you know, outside of that. Every day there are challenges yeah. that, you know, sit on your shoulder and say, is it worth it? Yeah. Like, you know, stop all these things yeah, and you look, just can't, you just got to keep putting one step. What, in what you've just the talked about there, you know, there's um, and going on a little bit of a tangent, but you know, there's a lot of talk at the minute about fractional execs Yeah, and it's not a new concept, but it's a one that, you know, over the last seven, eight years, um, I've not seen work very well in, you know, in the environment that we're in. And for that very reason, right. If you're going to be an exec, right. You've got one startup, you've got a whole set of problems. Yeah. You think that you can take on three startups as clients yeah. and work part time and have three sets of problems? It's a bit like having kids, right? If you've got a kid, right, you know, a baby, yeah. it's tough, right? 
you have triplets, it's not three times harder, it's like 100 times harder. Exactly. <laughs> and I would also argue that you know, in the journey from inception over the first five years of being a fintech, you've almost got different businesses embedded yeah. in that. Like the first yeah, year absolutely. of being in a yeah. fintech to the second to third to the yeah. fourth to the fifth, different types of skill sets from yeah. an executive perspective influence that. So you, it's hard to sort of be on that journey if you're not in the journey yeah. with the, the rate of change yeah. that, that's happening there as well. Yeah. Um, what can we expect from Zepto in 2024? Yeah, I think we're, we're spending a lot of time at the moment, you know, just going back over what we just said, like governance, um, compliance, regulation, that is really important. How do we think about, you know, advocating for new licensing? The Treasury just put out a... a um, a piece the other week asking for submissions. Yeah, we really want to think about what does the governance framework that supports today but also enables value and innovation into the future look like? And we want to we want to have a voice in that. So that becomes really, really important. I think um, the ability to think about defensibility of margin for companies in payments is really important. There's a lot of margin that's based at the moment around inefficiency. Um, but equally the commoditization of payments, like we can't make margin just because we're making a payment. We've yeah. got to think about the value that we're enabling our businesses and customers for and how will they pay for that value. So thinking about that is really important to me and I think, you know, the, 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 um, and, the and the last piece is just more around product evolution and, and for us pay to you know, the ability for merchants to, to pull and collect with the consent of a consumer or a business customer is... We haven't seen that in the wild yet. I think there's 50,000 transactions going through at the moment. It's very nascent. But what does version 2, 3, 4 and 5 look like? And I think over the next 12 to 18 months, that space will move very quickly Mm. with some really big brands. And Zepto will be partnering with a lot of the big brands that come to market, which we're excited about. But what does a hypercare look like to ensure not only that these products are fit for purpose for these brands but for our community in in a way that, that... as you said before, brings transparency to the consumer and flexibility, but also value for that customer payment experience for for the merchant. So, yeah. twenty four, and I feel like it's going to go quickly again. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Like these yeah. years at the moment yeah, are flying are. by. So yeah, yeah, it's um, I, it, it's just startling to me that I think back in four years ago, COVID hadn't even happened. Yes, <laughs> and yeah, and then I think back to two years ago and the end of. 2021 and everybody was super excited about 2022 because the borders were opening up and yeah. COVID was behind us. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just, you know, 2022 was a tough year. 2023, you know, people were, oh yeah, you know, be a bit more optimistic. And then we have Silicon Valley Bank hit in March. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I'm sure you, you were a bit like me that you start to get deja vu from, uh, you know, Lehman's going down. GFC, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it is, I, I think the years do go by fast. Um, we're wrapping up, Chris. Um, we obviously get some fantastic talent listening to the show. What are some of the, the kind of great reasons for people to consider working at Zepto? Well, again, like I'm, I am biased, but like we have a genuine passion for the problem we're solving, like a passion to create a new possible um, to enable a bank account technology to really serve businesses and customise and help those businesses to differentiate their their product through payment innovation and a new customer payment experience. So it is complex, but we're tackling complex head on. Um, incredibly exciting. And that wave is not just in Australia. We've got our ambition to think about 
you know, we've been members of the US Faster Payments Council for the last two years. We've got a, a really strong lens to how we can extend that capability into other markets as well. So it's a global value add that we're we're looking at and thinking about. So encourage anyone who's passionate about payments and passionate about innovation to, to think about Zepto. And where can people find out more about careers? Well, we've got a career page, uh, our, our, our internet site, www.zepto.com.au. Um, it's got a lot of the detail and information there. I'm personally very embedded in the LinkedIn community, so always on and, and welcoming to anyone who wants to, to reach out there as well. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining me, Chris. It's been great to hear about Zepto and you know, great to finally get this one in the bag. Absolutely, Dexter. Thank you. As always, folks, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. If you're new to the show, make sure you give us a follow. And if you're coming back, thanks so much for your support. It really does mean a lot to me. Until the next episode, keep well. Fintech Chatter is produced by Tier 1 People, leaders in fintech executive search. We'll find world-class leadership talent to build world-class fintech ventures. And you can find us at tier1people.com. Thank you.